I really desire to bring this message to you this weekend, especially. Um, let me just explain some things. Now, the series is entitled, What Child Is This? And you know the Christmas song, What Child Is This? I don't want to go into reading the lyrics. We don't need to. We all know that song. And the question is that we're trying to get to bring forth and bring it forth in a very strong manner. What child is this? And I want us to be, for the goal for this series and the goal for this time that we're spending from now until two weeks from today is to rediscover the real Jesus of Christmas. Not the Jesus that our society has made him into, not, not the American Jesus, not the European Jesus, not Jesus of the scriptures. Um, Carol, could you hand me your, your Bible for a second? This, oh my God. I know even if you don't have this with you today, you've got some, either on your phone or something, or you probably have, if you're like me, you probably get like 20 different versions at home, okay? Can I just announce this to you today? And this is gonna take some of you by surprise and with shock. This is a Jewish book. Okay, we got in on this by the grace of God. This is a Jewish book. If you don't read it with that perspective, you're missing 90% of what it's trying to tell us. And can I just say something else too? Christmas, if you do not look at Christmas through Jewish eyes, you miss it. You say, well, that, that doesn't sound right because Jewish people don't celebrate Christmas. Oh, maybe now. But, but Christmas was a fulfillment of a 4,000-year-old promise. In fact, one of the first promises that God ever made to mankind. We'll talk about it in a little while, Genesis chapter three. But the church world in general, for hundreds and hundreds of years has missed, and that's why we have so much stuff about our Christmas that has nothing to do with the scriptures. I said to the, to the people that were here in the first service this morning, how do people celebrate Christmas in parts of the world where it's summer right now. You know, any of you have any spent any time in Florida for Christmas? I know my parents lived there. I was like, this isn't Christmas. They got palm trees with Christmas lights on them. This isn't real. Why? Because we've developed in our mindset this whole thing about snow. We don't even know. If, if most likely, Jesus was probably be born in the fall. I mean, you don't get snow in, in Israel, even in the middle of winter. Where did this whole concept come up if you don't have frosty if you don't have Rudolph, if there's not snow on the ground, we'll go, oh, it's not real Christmas. Oh, maybe we'll get snow for Christmas. What does that got to do with Jesus being born? It's all our culture. It's the stuff that we've allowed to come in and become more important than the person. And I'm not saying go home and tear down all your decorations. By no means. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let's make sure that we're able to, to separate the cultural stuff from the reason we're celebrating this holiday, okay? Think about this. I don't know that we can honestly appreciate this because for thousands of years, the collective mindset of the people of God was, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and maybe next year. And maybe, 
every time a child is born, time a boy is born, maybe this is the one. Think about being immersed in that mindset of it, doesn't, it hasn't happened yet, but he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And the world gets worse. He's coming. He's coming. And then finally, finally, one day, an angel appears to these shepherds and says, he's here. That's what, this, that's what this holiday is all about. And whether it took place in the fall, whether it took place on December 25th, whether it took place in the middle of summer, we don't know what day. We know it happened on a day. And we know there was a day and there was a night where shepherds got totally blown away by an angel that appeared to them and said, the one that you've been waiting for all these years has been born today. You'll find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we can go into all those details of what that means. Maybe someday we will. I have taught on that in the past. This year, I feel like the Holy Spirit's brought me in a different direction. But what I want to talk to you about today is this. If you do not have an understanding that Jesus did not just show up one night in Bethlehem out of nowhere, if you will understand that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing towards his first coming, which is his birth in Bethlehem, his life on earth, the miracles that he would do, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his second coming. There's even more promises about the second coming than there were about the first coming. Say, second coming, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Jesus is coming back. He didn't just come, get on the cross, raise from the dead, leave, and leave us here. He left because if he hadn't gone, none of us, for the most part, would have ever heard this gospel. The gospel needed to go to the non-Jewish world. And so Jesus leaves, sends the Holy Spirit so that those who believe in him and are filled with the Holy Spirit could bring this message to the rest of the nations. Remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world. The world, not just Israel, the world. And so the rest of the world needed to hear this message. But now, the church world in general, all over the world, has gotten so far away from the original message that this has become a Christian holiday, and it's lost all of its roots. Again, I will say to you, there, you have very little real reality grasp of what Christmas is about if you don't go back in the Old Testament and understand, oh my, he's, God has been talking about this child coming for 4,000 years. Are you getting this? So, there is a very strange verse of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. Can we go there, please? Matthew chapter 2. You going to follow me? Okay. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, now after Jesus was born, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Next verse. Could you put that air on up here, please? Thank you, Anthony. Saying, so, so there's wise men came, and listen, there were most likely way more than three, 
there was probably a, an, 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 an enormous entourage of people and their soldiers and caravans carrying treasure and all this other stuff. We, we, we associate three because there's three gifts. What were those three gifts that were brought? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, so because it was three gifts, we figured there was a... Uh, forget about that. Okay, so, so what are they, what's their question? When they get to Jerusalem, what's their question? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Next verse. Look at this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? If this is a Jewish Messiah, and Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and, 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 and the question is posed about this Messiah, why did it trouble them? It should have made everybody really happy. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, which tells us the king didn't know, because we know he's a very ungodly king, and when he had gathered all the chief, chief priests and scribes together with the people, he inquired of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So, so where did they go for the answer? To the scriptures, to the Bible. But you, O Bethlehem, this is, he's quoting Micah chapter 5, which we'll talk about in a little while. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Why is this saying? Now, Bethlehem, to us, people all over the world know about Bethlehem. Back then, if you would have said Bethlehem, they were Bethlehem. What the heck? Bethlehem is a tiny little village. There's hardly anybody in it. There's not even a 7-Eleven there. <laughs> Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen? Amen. So, Notice again, when the wise men came, they asked a question, and it says that the king and all of Jerusalem were troubled. Now, considering the fact that there is so many prophecies in the Old Testament, this should not have taken them by surprise, which shows us how much the people at that point in time had given up on the whole concept that the Messiah was even going to come. Now, mind you, they could be justified a little bit because let me explain something to you. You see, your Bible is split into Old Testament and New Testament, right? Correct? Yes. Now, the last book in your Bible that tells you it's the New Testament is the book of Malachi, okay? Now, you turn the page, and the next book is the book of Matthew. So you figure, oh, it went from Malachi to Matthew. No. And that one page that separates Malachi and Matthew, 400 years went by. Listen to me. That's more than the history of our nation. 400 years, not one prophet has risen up to speak a word from God. It's complete silence. All they have to hold on to is from Genesis to Malachi. That's it. So naturally, the people must have got tired. Naturally, the people thought, I guess we're hoping against hope. He's not coming. Okay, now if you, well, I don't have to go into that. I'm trying to conserve my, conserve my voice for the important stuff. Okay. So, 
We know now that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these scriptures, all these prophecies. Let me go through a few of them real quick for you. Pastor Matt, come up here and help me. I'm going to have Pastor Matt read these scriptures, and then I'll do the teaching in between. Amen? Everybody say hi, Pastor Matt. All right. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, the fulfillment, we're going to look at an Old Testament scripture, and then it being fulfilled in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. So the first one... Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. <coughs> and it says, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Do you want to read the fulfillment? Oh, wait a minute. Let me, no. All right, just read the scripture. I want to do the teaching. <laughs> so, so listen, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, he gave them a promise that a Savior was going to come. God knew that they were deceived. God knew that they were tricked. And God's saying, okay, listen, you've got to live the consequence of your decision for now. But the day's going to come when the seed of the woman, Eve, and the seed of the serpent, there's going to be a battle. He, the Savior, is going to crush the head of the serpent. But in crushing the head of the serpent, the serpent would bruise his heel, okay? So can you picture that? Can you picture that? Uh, you know, you stomp on the head of a snake. Before it dies, it might have the opportunity to still bite you. So what's this telling? What is this speaking of? Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, but it cost him his, his life. He died in the process. That's what God was promising him. The Savior's going to come, okay? The serpent's going to have a partial victory, but in the end the table's going to get turned on them. Amen? Now, watch this now. That promise, like I said before, was 4,000 years before Jesus showed up. All right? 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, God's people have been waiting for this Savior to come. Amen? Amen. Number two um, that we see in the Old Testament, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The, vir the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew 1.23, <coughs> where it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That fulfillment of that scripture is what separates this birth from every other birth. Okay? Without going into a lot of detail, and please don't ever stretch what I'm about to say and put it in the wrong context. We live in an area where we have a very large concentration of Orthodox Jews, Hasidic. Some of you may have family members. Some of you may be connected somehow to, to some individuals in that community. And so every time a boy is born, this could be the one. No, it can't be. Because that scripture has to get fulfilled. He had to be born from a virgin. It's only happened once. There was no reason to expect it to happen again. This is the uniqueness of the birth of Christ, the Messiah. Okay? Amen. The third one we're going to look at is in uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratath, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, 
from everlasting. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And we could see that if Bethlehem said that's where Jesus needed to be born, amen. And where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem. Amen. Then Scripture is so specific because it doesn't just say Bethlehem. It says Bethlehem Ephrata. Now, to you and me, that goes, but to a person back then, they understood, oh, he's talking about not just the village of Bethlehem, but the fields around Bethlehem. That's Bethlehem Ephrata. It's literally talking about the pasture field outside of Bethlehem, exactly where the shepherds were, exactly. You know, again, we talk about Jesus. Most of us have a little wooden frame, uh, A-frame, little chalet-type little house by our Christmas tree with the little figurines in it. That's not, that, he was born in a cave. There's caves there today that you can visit. And the shepherds would take the sheep. But these are not just regular sheep that were raised around Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem. These sheep were specifically raised to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. It wasn't just any sheep. These were specific shepherds that worked together with the priests and we would say today the clergy in Jerusalem. They were tasked with the responsibility of raising this special sheep that would be brought to Jerusalem to be slaughtered on Passover. When did Jesus die? During Passover. Who did John the Baptist say he was? The Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. It's all there. It's all there, okay? Amen. The fourth one, we're going to go to Numbers uh, chapter 24, verse 17. And it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush the, through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 2, which we've read verses 1 through 2, where it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, this where it is, where is, he, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And this, one, this one's really cool because that prophecy came forth 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Okay. It states, I see him, but not now. In other words, in the future. He said a star is going to rise in Jacob, meaning in the geographical area, and a scepter. Does anybody know what a scepter is? Who holds a scepter? A king. He said, I see a star and I see a scepter coming out of the land of Israel. Now, the magi, the wise men, I might, I might be okay. You want to hang out? Maybe we should get like one of them old time, like old time church, put a big throne chair up here and you could sit there and have all the other people sitting behind. I think I'm all right. We're talking about the star. We're talking about the scepter. Now that prophecy was given 1,500 years. It's when Israel was on the way to, Israel, to the promised land from Egypt. Okay, you can read all about it in Numbers. I believe it's 23. What is it? 24. Okay. You can go read it. It's very, it's very interesting to read this. So this, this prediction comes forth. 
that in the future, there's a, a king that's going to rise up and a star is going to be associated with him. Now, who took notice of the star? Was it the Israelites? No. Was it the Jews in Jerusalem? No. Who was it? Wise men, not shepherds. Wise men from the east. From the east of Jerusalem. If you go east of Jerusalem, you're going to come to Syria, Iraq, Iran. The areas of the Babylonian Empire. What famous person was taken from Jerusalem many, many centuries before that and brought to Babylon? Uh, somebody that had to sleep with a bunch of lions one night. What's his name? Daniel. Daniel is, as a, as a teenager, taken hostage, brought to Babylon, raised in the king's household there, and God used him miraculously. And so the king of Babylon takes Daniel and elevates his position as second in command in the kingdom over all the wise men. Daniel teaches the wise men. Now, that's 400 years before Jesus is born. Daniel teaches the wise men all the scriptures that he learned. And so for the next 400 years, every generation of magi, every generation of wise men is looking from, there, from the east. If I'm going to look to Jerusalem from the east, which way do I have to look? West. If I'm in the east and I'm going to look over to Israel, I got to look to the west. Every generation of wise men train themselves to constantly be looking to see, is that star coming? And the Magi came to Jerusalem and said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Scepter, star, for we have seen his, come on guys, we have seen his star, where? In the east. Well, how would they know to look for that? They remembered Daniel's teaching. These are Jewish scriptures. They're not Jews. They're Babylonians. But they learned from the prophet Daniel. Man, the word of God has always been to affect the rest of the world, not just Jews. Amen? Okay, so. So we see with all these prophecies that the king and all the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they should have known to expect this Messiah, yes or no? But none of them did. Now watch this now. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, and I had you repeat this before, after Jesus was born, okay? I don't want to burst your bubble, and I'm not expecting you to go home and dismantle your little nativity sets. But when Jesus was born, there was no camels, and the wise men were not there. They came two years later. How do we know that? Because Herod, when he finds out what city or what village the Messiah was going to be born, gives orders to his soldiers to go and wipe out all the children two years and younger, according to the time that the wise men said the star appeared. You listening? Now, this makes it even a greater miracle, because that means that this star appeared, reappeared, appeared, reappeared, appeared, reappeared. They saw it when they first started their journey. When they get to Jerusalem, the star pops up again. You getting to go read it for yourself. I'm not making anything up, and I'm not stretching the scriptures. Okay? 
Watch this now. I said that for this reason. Two years later, in Jerusalem, they still haven't heard that this Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Now, just to give you an idea, let's say we're in Bethlehem. Jerusalem would be maybe the trip that it takes to go from here to Seaside Heights. That's the distance between here, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. What is it, 15 minutes by car? You could crawl there in a couple of days. And yet, they still have not heard in Jerusalem that this Messiah was born. However, there are two individuals in Jerusalem who know what child this is. One of them's name is Anna. She's a very old widow. Some Bible commentators estimate that she may have been 100 years, 104 years old by the time Jesus was born. Tells us that she stayed in the temple day and night, fasting, praying. She's watching for the Messiah to come. You got it? The other person is even more astounding. And I'm going to need you. This is the thing that I want you to really pay attention to today. Because I want you to see the depth of which God will go to make sure that we get the message. I want you to see how God is in the details. He's not a faraway God. He knows exactly how to reach our hearts. Listen to me. The next man who shows up in the temple on the very day that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be dedicated, which would have been, according to the law of Moses, eight days after he was born. The law of Moses states that on the eighth day after a male is born, he must be circumcised and must be presented to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So this is only a week after Jesus is born. Watch this. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Would you repeat that, please? Simeon. Say it again. Simeon. I don't want you to forget that name, because by the time we're done here, you're going to realize the significance of this man. His name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation, that's a key word there. You only console people that are what? Sad, grieving, sorrowful. So this tells us what the attitude of the people were waiting for this Messiah to come. Amen? Amen. Look at this. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, look at me closely. You're going to learn some things today, okay? You might not have considered this before. We're still under Old Testament during this time. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit can only come upon an individual. The Holy Spirit could not live in an individual. Right now, I would venture to say the great majority of the people in this room, okay, you're believers. You have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have declared your faith in him. And when you did, who came to live inside you? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, he dwells in us. Turn to somebody and say, he's in there. there. You got it? But in that time, the Holy Spirit can only come upon an individual. Now, when the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual, they would be able to do supernatural things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Amen? You got that? So now, the Holy Spirit has come upon this man, Simeon, who we're told is righteous and devout. He's a godly man. And now he begins to speak about Jesus under the anointing or the influence of the Holy Spirit. You catching this? 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We could say it this way. Before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Okay? Verse 27, and he came in the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit influenced him. The Holy Spirit prompted him. Get to the temple. I'm going to show you something. Get to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, which is talking about circumcision, he, Simeon, I want you to get this picture. He, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms. He's holding the baby Jesus, the Messiah, in his arms. And when we find out in a few minutes who this guy is, I hope it explodes on the inside of you the way it did on me. This man, Simeon, according to church history and according to Jewish history, is a man known with the title Simeon ben Hillel. Simeon's father was a man named Hillel who started a theological school in Jerusalem that the Jewish people today still talk about Rabbi Hillel. Simeon is his son. It was Rabbi Hillel who had been teaching, it's time, the Messiah should be here, the Messiah should be coming, the Messiah is going to be here soon. His son, growing up underneath him, is hearing constantly, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah should be here soon, it's time for the Messiah to come. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but when you've grown up in a cultural mindset that for thousands of years you keep thinking, maybe this year, maybe this year. Maybe that bird, maybe that child, maybe this one. And you've now been raised in a house where your father is the head teacher of the, of the greatest rabbinical school up until that moment. It makes an impression on you. And what does God do? God gives Simeon the blessing, the opportunity, the grace to not only see him, but to hold him. You're not getting it yet because I haven't gotten to the real impacting part. And he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Does anybody know what the word salvation is in Hebrew? Yeshua. For your eyes have let me see your Yeshua. that you have prepared in the presence of all people. He's getting divine revelation from the Holy Spirit now. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish world. And for the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken by him. Now listen to me. I want you to, again, use your imagination here today. Mary and Joseph were marveling, not just because of what Simeon said, but because of who Simeon was. Because you see, when his father, Halil, passed away, Simeon took his father's place, and Simeon was the head of the Supreme Court of Israel during that time. He's one of the head guys. This would be equivalent, let's say, uh, how many of us are former Catholics, or maybe you still consider yourself Catholic? Come on, let me see your hands. Don't be ashamed. We're not going to throw you out. I'm still here. Okay, listen to me. This would be the equivalent. 
If you and I went to Rome and we had our little infant baby with us, and the Pope comes out, grabs your child, and begins to bless him, would you not remember that? Would you not be telling every generation about that? Would not the story of your family be, hey, we went to Rome and the Pope took our kid and blessed him? Do you not think that generation after generation we're going to say, wait a second, Simeon got to hold this. And Mary, you understand, when we went to dedicate our baby, Simeon was there and took our child and began to pray. So now Simeon himself would have told this story from generation to generation. Yes or no? When I found out who Simeon's son is, I literally had to push myself away from my desk. I went, oh my God, I've been looking for this connection for 30 years. You have Hillel, who started this rabbinical school. You have Simeon, his son, Simeon ben Hillel. Do you know who Simeon's son is? A man named Gamaliel from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 tells us that when Peter and John got arrested because a man who was begging for money outside the gate in the temple, they prayed for him. They didn't pray for him. They just told him, stand up on your, on your feet, receive your healing. A man who had been paralyzed all of his life. And he got, they arrested him. They arrested Peter and John, put him in jail. They bring them out for trial. Guess who's one of the judges? Gamaliel. And Gamaliel, who was raised by Simeon ben Halil, who was raised in a household and knew the experience his father had at the temple that day when he was holding Jesus, says to the rest of the judges who are getting ready to condemn Peter and John to death, he says to them, you guys better think about what you're doing because it's a real good possibility that this thing is from God and you might find yourself fighting against God. So what do we see here? Gamaliel was influenced by his father, Simeon, who was influenced by his father, Hillel. It gets better. This is the thing that went, oh my God. You know who Gamaliel's student was? Saul of Tarsus. The Apostle Paul. He says it himself. I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Now you're going to tell me that this man who taught the Apostle Paul was not going to tell him, hey, my father was the guy that was in the temple when they brought this kid who everybody thinks was the Messiah, and my father held him, and my father prophesied over him. We know. I'm not saying that Gamaliel Lomac was a believer, although I think he probably was, because I don't think anybody would have the boldness to speak up and say, you better watch how you treat these guys, because it's a good possibility they're telling the truth. Now, an incident that took place in Paul's life makes complete sense. Acts chapter 9. And as they journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Let's talk about Paul. Saul. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice. Whose voice was it? Jesus. Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> he changed his opinion real quick. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Watch this now. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now watch this now. We're blind to this. We're blind. I'm not going to go that far. Watch this now. If you were a farmer or you were a cattle rancher 
and you had uh, oxen or you had mules or you had some type of a animal, a beast of burden, and you want this animal to go from here to there and the animal refuses, you get behind him and use what's called a goad, which is a long spear-like thing with a sharp edge to get the ox to see your point. No pun intended. So what do you do? What is, it? what is that? He's talking about a tool of persuasion. Now, this has bothered me for decades because if this is the very first time that Jesus is introduced to Saul, or as I should say it this way, if this is the very first time that Saul is even considering whether Jesus is Messiah, then that statement doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is this. Saul, I've been trying to speak to you for years through the teaching of Gamaliel. I've been trying to speak to you for years through the teachings of Simeon Ben-Hillel. Every time you read the scriptures, Saul, I was speaking to your heart to show you who I am, and you keep refusing it. You keep resisting it. It's hard for you to kick against these things, isn't it, Saul? And so finally now, when he wouldn't listen to these other dealings, Jesus shows up in person and says to him, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's response is, who are you, Lord? He made the connection. The things that were deposited in him from his teachers all of a sudden clicked. You listening to me? Why am I making a big deal out of this? Number one, personally, because I got the connection now. I got the connection. I see that Jesus had been dealing with Saul all this time, not in person, but by the Holy Spirit, trying to draw him, trying to open up his eyes. Oh my God, it just hit me. This is why Paul wrote to the Ephesians church that God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him because that's exactly what hit him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him. Saul, when you were studying Isaiah 53 with Gamaliel, it's talking about Jesus. Saul, when you're studying the prophecies in Jeremiah, it's about Jesus. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. And refused to give in until Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus. My point is this. Never does it happen that God just shows up in our life and expects us, boom, believe in me. He begins to draw our hearts. He begins to speak to us. He begins to uh, give evidence to us. He never expects us to believe anything without giving us the evidence that's needed to believe. Amen. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this teaching for the sake of time. Then, Pastor Matt, I'm going to have you come up and finish the, finish the service. Listen to me. Moses says something very curious in his writings. He says to the people of Israel, I have the scripture, I don't remember where it is, but it's back there. He says to the people of Israel, someday, God is going to raise up a prophet for you just like me. Listen to him. So now we see there's a connection between Moses and Christmas also, between Moses and Jesus also. Okay, why? Jesus had a supernatural birth. Moses had a supernatural birth. Moses is supposed to die. Every other male child is thrown into the Nile River according to the, the command of Pharaoh. But Moses' mother risked her life and risked the life of the family 
to hide him because she says he was a special child. When you really think the language, basically when she, she saw the hand of God in this child's life. Supernaturally, he's hidden, okay? Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies during Moses' time. Herod tried to wipe out Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem. You see the, you see the parallels? Okay. Moses sees a tree and throws it into water that's poisonous. Jesus climbs up and is crucified on a tree to take the bitterness of life away from us and make our lives sweeter. Are you catching this? Okay. Do you see it? You see the, you see the parallels? Okay. Moses is known as the great lawgiver. Jesus is the great law fulfiller. Moses is the great deliverer. Jesus is the great redeemer. There is a connection, folks. Jesus doesn't just show up in Bethlehem out of nowhere. He wasn't the surprise pregnancy of Mary, okay? Jesus came at the exact time to fulfill every single prophecy in the Old Testament. And that's what you and I should be sharing right now. And that's what you and I should be celebrating right now. The fact that after all those thousands of years, God kept his promise. Isaiah chapter 9. The question in this series is, what child is this? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called. Want to read this with me nice and loud? One, two, three. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who this child is. And he's given you the evidence that you need to make the decision that you should make. Well, pastor, when I die, I'm sure God's going to say all the good things I did. Oh, honey, it's too late then. It's too late then. The decision has to be made now. There's no big scale in heaven, and God's going to put your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other. No, it doesn't work that way. If you could earn your salvation, then Jesus got a slap in the face from the Father. If you could earn your place in heaven in eternity, if it was possible, then why would Jesus have to go suffer the way he did? He did because it's impossible for us to earn our salvation. Impossible. There is absolutely no, there's no vehicle to accomplish it by. It has to be by faith in him. Amen. It's got to be the grace of God coming upon your life, bringing you into salvation because you declared your faith in who Jesus is. In the book of Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah makes this statement. The Lord appeared to me from ages past or from everlasting saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you and continued my faithfulness to you. We have all this information that we have as an act of his love towards us so that we would have the evidence we need to develop a faith in our heart to be able to declare with all confidence Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah, is the Savior of this world. Amen. We can declare with all confidence, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that he rose again from the dead. And with all confidence, we can receive him as our Lord and Savior. 
Amen. Would you please allow Pastor Matt to close out the service? Thank you, Will. Amen. Such a, a powerful message when you really see the connection. And, and God does, he gives us evidence. Amen. Amen. And you know, I believe Pastor said it earlier in the message, you know, Jesus is the greatest gift that God has ever given. Amen. Amen. And like Pastor was just saying, you know, you go to the Apostle Paul, who, who was Saul, and maybe was wrestling, and then realized, no, Jesus is who he said he is, who I've heard he is. This is this Jesus. And maybe you're here today, and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that you saw the evidence here. You saw the scriptures that were written, and that they were fulfilled. And you know, that's the coolest thing about the Bible. The Bible is like no other book, because the Bible is alive. The Bible's powerful. The Bible is written by so many different people. There's so many different books, yet they all point to Jesus. And we see scriptures written hundreds, some thousands of years before he was born, and they were fulfilled. Jesus did come. He did come. He grew up. He went to the cross. He died for us. He was buried, and he rose again. And Paul said that in the book of Romans, that Apostle Paul, who we were reading about today, he said that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe he went to the cross for your sins and died for you, and you believe that he rose again, he says, when we believe that in our heart and we confess that with our mouth, salvation has come. So I want to make sure we all have that opportunity, if you're in here, that you have that opportunity to receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior today if you have not done that. So why don't we all bow our heads and shut our eyes. I'm going to lead us into that salvation prayer. And know, we could all pray this together, but know that if you're praying this for the first time, you go from spiritual death to life. The Word of God says His Spirit comes and seals you on the inside. It says you become a new creation in Him. So let's go ahead. We can all pray this prayer. Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he went to the cross for my sins. And that he died for my sins. And that he rose again. So this day, I acknowledge that I need a savior. I repent of my old ways. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, and to be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. I thank you for now making me a child of God. And I'm going to follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Listen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time in just a minute when we're dismissed, please don't just walk out the doors. Come up. Let somebody on our prayer team know, I gave my life to Jesus because this is not an end. This is the beginning of your journey with him. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you some resources to help you along this way. So please come up. Let us know, I gave my life to Jesus. If you need prayer for anything else, please come up. We would love to stand in faith with you on God's word and believe with you for what you're believing for. Amen. And stand in faith with you. Amen. Make sure you're here again here at five o'clock. We have our cookies and carols later. Amen. Listen, God bless you all. We love you. We'll see you either later today or next weekend.